Welcome to the Mindfulpreneur Podcast. I'm your host, Alyssa Zwana. Let's get into it. Hello and welcome back. This week's guest is Riyad Darwich, the brains behind EngSpect, a structural engineering company based in Montreal. Between his bachelor's in civil engineering and various certifications, Riyad has worked on some of the biggest infrastructure projects across the globe over the last 10 years from Montreal, Chicago, all the way to Dubai. This episode starts off with some insider advice from him. So whether you're a homeowner looking to renovate or looking to purchase your first property, Riyad answers a ton of questions like what steps you can take to assess and potentially upgrade your property? When should you consult a structural engineer if you're renovating your home? What are some key signs to look out for when previewing a potential property to buy? to really ensure its structural integrity. The list goes on. And if you're like, "Mm, Alyssa, I just want to skip to the business stuff. Then about halfway through the episode, we chat about how Riyadh's business is structured between his team and his pricing, how all that works. And interestingly enough, we, we oddly have a lot of similarities in the way that we run our businesses, despite being in completely different industries. So I was really able to share a lot of insight on my end into how I run Nomad Creative, as well as some shifts I've made within the company over the last five years, building my branding and social media agency. So it was really great uh, catching up with Riyadh after all these years. I hope you guys enjoy this episode. And if there's anything that really resonates with you, please give us five stars on Spotify or mention your feedback in an Apple podcast review. That's it for me for now. Enjoy. This podcast is brought to you by Nomad Creative. Visit nomadcreative.com for all of your marketing, branding, and social media needs. Riyadh. Hey. It's been forever. Welcome to the pod. Oh, it's good to see you again. If it's behind a screen, it's always fun. Yeah, I know. I know. So, I, you know, it's funny because I think you had reached out after seeing someone else's episode. And that's what I really love about doing this podcast is like, reconnecting with like old friends, old faces, other entrepreneurs who just so happen to kind of fall upon and see what I'm doing. Um, And of course, I'm always so curious naturally to see what everyone else has been up to. Last time we, I guess, saw each other interacted, we were working together as sales associates at the Bay. (laughs) Yeah, I think uh, I I used to shave my head back then. I had no hair and a little bit less facial hair, but that that was quite some time ago. Yeah. Yeah, I think I was probably it was one of my first jobs at the base. I must have been like 16 or 17 years old, which is pretty wild. But honestly, so glad we kind of found each other again. And I can't wait to get into everything that you're doing. Um, You are now running a company called Engspect, right? In residential uh, structural engineering company. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Perfect. So I'm sure a lot of people are kind of curious, like, number one, what the hell is that? What do we do when people hear engineering? There's so many different types of engineering. So can you just like walk us through what it is that you do specifically within your company? And then we can get into some more specific questions about the biz and whatnot. Sure. So uh, I think uh, it all, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you a little bit of a background story. Uh, mm-hmm. The company, I founded the company during COVID, believe it or not. 
And nice. I'm not going to say, baby. yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm not going to say it was out of pure boredom, but it was out of, uh, in my, in my career on the side, I had shifted to a less technical role and I missed that technical aspect of it. And, uh, when I looked on the market, uh, there was a friend of mine, actually, he wanted to do just, just a basic load bearing wall removal, something very simple. Mm-hmm. And he was calling a bunch of structural engineering firms and he was getting these ridiculously high quotes because everybody had these uh, high overhead costs because running a structural engineering firm or, or any engineering firm, there's a lot of fees associated. There's a lot of overhead costs and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, he was getting quotes in the thousands of dollars for a simple, simple load-bearing wall removal. Mm-hmm. Uh, he reached out to me and he said, you know, do you know anybody? And I'm like, I have my engineering seal. I could do it for you. It's no problem at all. And, uh, and, uh, so behold, I did it. So I guess word got around and, uh, <laughs> and everybody accidentally st- started a business. <laughs> yeah. And everybody started calling me. They wanted to knock down these walls. So I was like, all right. So, uh, it was fun because I think what I, what I had done is I had found sort of a niche of, not the person that wants to do this major renovation projects in the house, like extensions. We obviously do that, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but somebody that had just a small, simple job, needed a quick turnaround, did not want to break the bank, but also wanted to make sure that he didn't cut any corners. Mm-hmm. So thus, Ench Spec was born. Okay. So you mentioned like load bearing walls. So for someone who has no idea, I feel like I'm kind of familiar with this space because right. I watch a lot of renovation shows, right, right, right. but some people might be like completely oblivious to what this means. So these are essentially like walls that have these posts that are keeping the house up. More so, or less, right? so yeah, it depends on the composition of the wall, but it's essentially, it's a wall that is carrying a load of the house. So in a sense that if you remove that wall, you will have a structural deficiency in your household. So there's a potential that like your ceiling might collapse or cave in eventually kind of thing, right? Correct. 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 Yeah. Correct. Makes sense. And you mentioned overhead costs. So like what are typical overhead costs associated? And are you like hinting at the fact that maybe that's not something that you have as much of? Yeah, correct. So uh, some of the overhead, so people have in-house drafters, uh, for example, they have uh, in-house office space, uh, in-house, they just have, basic office space people on a salary essentially people on a salary they have Mm -hmm. office space they have equipment that they're not necessarily utilizing full time Mm -hmm. uh you know licenses fees and all that so from our end it's like okay i do work with a couple drafters uh the job that they are paid for they're they're not on my salary they're on in a on a per job basis so they're also independent as well Mm -hmm. and i do have set up these sort of agreements with them that on a fixed fee for xyz uh but I tend to use them for mostly for bigger jobs, but for those smaller jobs, let's take a load bearing wall because it's 80% of our bread and butter. Mm-hmm. I can do the drafting in house. Uh, I can do it myself yeah. and it's, it's not, it's not that typical. It's not that long. Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense. Honestly, it's very similar to how I run Nomad Creative too, right? Because we, instead of having a bunch of people in house working full time on a salary, because probably similar to you, there are a lot of different services that are required in order to get the job done, which is the way that I built my business. I mean, in engineering, it might be different, but um, with what I do, at least between, you know, marketing and branding and, you know, design, development, strategy, like there's people to do all of those roles. And I think the mistake that a lot of companies 
have or do is that they try and find one person to do everything, but then like you don't have those specialists, like people who are actually really good at what they do. So that's how I built Nomad was like, number one, especially when I started off, I was like, I don't have the means to pay someone a full salary. So let me just do subcontractors. And then my whole business was is just based off of that. And that's still the case, right? Because we have such a full scope of services. I use everyone's services on a per need per project basis. And then that way you can also guarantee that there's always like a return on the project that you have proper margins, all of that. And when you're the one doing a lot of the stuff in the beginning, similarly to, to what I was doing, you're also kind of paying yourself in that and saving on fees and having to pay someone else. And you could kind of give yourself a bit more of a, a salary or a better rate. Right. I would, I would Correct. think it's similar to what we're it's, doing. Right? It's, it's, you got, you hit the nail on the head. It's exactly yeah. what it is. I mean, I took a load bearing wall as a concept, but I mean, sometimes people want mm-hmm. to have sort of before buying a house, you want to have it inspected by a structural engineer because you saw some foundation cracks, whatever it may be. Well, I'm not going to charge you drafter fees for that because why would should you be paying for a drafter that's on hook for something that you don't need or you're not going to use? Mm. So, so what's a drafter? A drafter is somebody, it's a technician that is specialized in AutoCAD drawing, blue beam drawing, whatever it may be. That okay. essentially I transfer the plans over, I transfer a sketch plans, the dimensions, and he sort of drafts it for me, makes it makes the plan uh, that is transferred over. It's the final product if you want. Okay. So. Okay. Got it. Um, so what would you say like for a homeowner? I know I have a lot of friends myself, um, people who might be considering to buy a home. What is the importance of having or consulting with a residential structural engineer? So it depends on your project. If, if there's, there's several steps that you can get us involved. So first and foremost, before buying your house, okay? Uh, it's obviously recommended to always go through a building inspector, just a, just a general visual inspection, envelope mm-hmm. ex- inspection of the household. Uh, nine times out of 10, a uh, your building inspector will refer to, okay, well, you know, you have some cracks in the foundation here. You have some floor sagging there whatever it may be, right? He'll, he'll point out a bunch of issues with the household. Okay. If the issues appear to be major, which they will let you know, he will let tell you quali- uh, contact a qualified professional. By contacting an engineer for that perspective, we go in and we give you an engineering report, a engineering opinion based off of what were our findings, what we deducted is, what is the level of severity or the level of risk associated. The plus side on that is that we would end up taking liability for that perspective. So okay. as an engineer, you're part of an order, your seal and your stamp makes you take on certain civil and res- responsibility and liability with respect mm-hmm. to that. So that's for that portion. Then mm-hmm. if you have, let's just say, for example, a renovation project, you want to knock down a wall to make your kitchen bigger and open it up with yeah. the dining room super right? common yeah super common very very simple mm-hmm. people think ah you know what? i'll just knock that wall down okay great <laughs> well i mean first of all you want to make have sure you, you ever actually have you been in a situation where someone like knocked the wall down themselves and then they completely like screwed their house <laughs> it's the worst they end up paying that- so much more on the back end okay i was gonna ask because so like, then you're like fixing a problem as opposed to like setting yourself up to prevent it right so what typically happens and we can get into it now or later is that whenever you remove a load-bearing component that is here, you mm-hmm. tend to overwork the side components. So you tend to damage the side components as well. So oh, your okay. problem is not only on one one element now, it's on it's spread across the household. Oh, so, yeah. Got it. So that's just 
So, uh, so how, how would you measure like the severity? Cause you mentioned, you know, like you have to like, how do you know when it's time or that something needs to be done or if something can be kept, like, how does that measurement happen? And how can we know that we're relying on you? Right. That, so, that, that we trust your, you know, your perspective. Our judgment. Yeah, yeah, your no, judgment. I, I mean, depending on the material that is used, uh, I'll give an example. If it's concrete, there are specialized tools for concrete, uh, a Schmidt hammer test, a ultrasonic wave test, et cetera, et cetera, okay, that okay. we utilize to get data from the element. Uh, if it's wood, same component, and if it's steel, same component. So there are a bunch of tests that we use, and at the same time, there are calculations that we use. So Mm. the National Building Code has some requirements and some restrictions. Uh, You know, I'll give you a simple example. You calculate rise over run to find the deflection over a certain span. Based off of the percent deflection, you look at the National Building Code, you're like, it's within the tolerances, it's outside the tolerances. So you'd make recommendations. I'm like, this forward. is Chinese to me right now. Yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> you should see when I try to explain it to my wife. She's people, like, is, people listening to this are like, what the hell is he talking about? <laughs> yeah, I'll try, I'll try to, yeah, I mean, uh, I'm, I'm, I always get that comment. I try to simplify the way of saying it, but essentially, it's, if if it's too slow, it's just, bad. Okay. Okay. Yeah. There we go. Cause I was going to say, it's funny when you like work in an industry, you almost take for granted, like what you know and like the yeah. terminology and how you speak. Um, I work in sales a lot in, in, you know, like selling my, what, what we do. So I've had to learn not to dumb things down, but to kind of put it, put it in layman's terms. Like yeah. how, how will people understand this from their perspective? Someone who, does, who knows nothing about marketing, who knows nothing about branding, whatever. Typically they have some type of knowledge, just like, like, you know, in, in engineering, sure. you may have some type of understanding. Sure. Um, like we're not idiot people, <laughs> no, no, but, but I, yeah, I it's just you. like, it becomes almost like another language, you know? So like, I really try and make sure to be like super clear with that, but I totally, um, get where you're coming from. You sound smart and that's, what's important. <laughs> <laughs> people are like okay yeah he knows what he's talking about that's uh that's enough for me that's all um, I need to know yeah exactly so for someone who might be wanting to do some kind of renovation like example like taking down the wall I feel like the the theme of this this chat is like taking down walls um but what whatever it may be right um what is like your advice for those homeowners who want to make that change like what's the first step that they should do from like a structural perspective to make sure that like shit doesn't hit the fan so it's very very easy you'd be shocked at how easy it is uh the first thing i would tell you to do is punch a small hole in your ceiling oh. literally that that's that's essentially it and okay. when you look at your wall there's typically they, we call them floor joists it's like like little wooden beams if you want to call them that that are running mm-hmm. If you find that the end of a floor joist and the start of another floor joist is sitting on top of your wall, it's load bearing, mm. right? So that's that's just a quick rule of thumb. Uh, another thing what you can do is you can look at through your household. Typically, your your structural axis is the same throughout the house. So if the wall that you find on the first floor, you find the same wall on the second floor, and you find something similar in the basement, odds are it is load bearing as well. Right. That makes sense. Cause it's like going through the entire house. Is that typical where they're going through the entire house or do they kind of shift depending on the floor? Sometimes they shift, uh, depending okay. on the story, depending on the distance. But if it's a main structural axis, you will find it going across the whole house. 
Got it. And for someone who's, let's say, looking to move into a home or may live in an older home and they're not looking to go into like a new build or whatever. So like we have to look out for for things in a different way. So let's say someone's walking through an open house. It's a bit of an older home. And like from just like the general like buyer's perspective, is there anything that they can maybe keep in mind and look for from a visual perspective that they don't necessarily need an engineer for? Yeah, I mean, I would tell you uh, so Jiprock cracks. That's uh, so Jiprock is what your wall is covered out of. Yeah. And typically, if you have Jiprock cracks that are longitudinal, and you have to be careful here, not paint cracks because of aging, but really like the Jiprock is actually cracking. Yeah. And you could kind of tell, I guess, if you look closely, right? Exactly. And, and that gives you an indication that, okay, something has moved inside the mm. walls. And that's typically not a good sign. So, right. Well, so for example, I, I'm in a a new build. We moved in about three years ago and they also say things are going to shift, right? There might be some nail pops um, because like the foundation is settling and stuff like that. Like I had some like caulking that was like on top of the, the whatever trim or something on top of like the kitchen cabinets. I don't even know what it's called. And now it's like separated, right? Like it kind of like cracked off because like it must have settled. So I guess in a new house, that's just normal. And so if you're going into your you're into a new house and you see these things, like we shouldn't be worried, right? No, no. I mean, even through an old, like a house breathes, if you want to call it that, right? Mm -hmm. As, As in the springtime, whenever it's more moist, humidity is high wooden elements tend to expand because of humidity and in summer when it's dry they contract so it does breathe it does cause separations but you shouldn't mix up separations and cracks i mean even for myself uh sometimes around my window frames you have I have those little molding finishes and sometimes in the springtime molding, you just see th- that's the word <laughs> yeah the, yeah exactly molding. <laughs> and sometimes the moldings you just see them they just you know separate a little bit it's just they expand it and you just nail right. them back together and call it a day Yeah. Like we've seen those little things happen. It's like, we finally feel like our home is becoming a little bit more lived in because it was almost like too perfect for a while. Right. Right. (laughs) Now we're like, okay, like she's got a couple years on her. (laughs) Uh, It's, it's, if you start looking at every single little thing in a household, you'll go crazy. And we just moved into our house too at the beginning of the year. And it's not a new build. It's a 2002 build, but we completely gutted it and we did it. Even then, I'm just like, I'm like, oh, well, the nail of the jib rock popped up here. And I'm just, I lose my mind of putting it back in and making yeah. a smooth finish. Half the time, I'm just I know. forget about it. That's it. And you know what? So we, when we moved into our house, we had our main floor finished, but our basement was unfinished. And we did it about like a year and a half later on our own. Um, right. We hired a contractor, honestly kind of sketchy because we wanted the best deal and like we didn't have a proper team come in listen we saved a lot of money but there are so many little things wrong with our basement like the average person unless we told you probably wouldn't even notice or see like some of the walls straight up are not even perfectly straight like you can see like from the ceiling to the wall if you really really look like based on like the paint line that it's not perfectly straight. And like, I see these things because I have a fine eye and being a designer and whatever. So when it was getting done, I was like, okay, you know, like you got to just whatever, once it's painted, like no one's going to notice. And truth be told, every time I go down there now, like I really don't see see it. it. Like I no, I don't, I don't see it because of the way that we kind of like, it's maybe I'm making it sound worse than it is. I don't know. But, um, 
like the way that it turned out. And then like when you have like the lights come in and the shadows and the furniture, like once it's all kind of settled in there, people just come down and they're like, wow, your basement's beautiful. And we're like, thank you. Like, here's the list of everything that's wrong with it. (laughs) (laughs) But like other people really don't see that. And even now that like I'm living in it, it's like, you got to just like look past those things. Like we know this is not our forever home. So like, yeah, we took a couple shortcuts, but I know that like anyone else who would live in this space afterwards like they they're not going to care about this stuff you know it's not not like you feel like you're falling over sideways in the basement yeah you know like it's so 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 minor you really have to like put like a freaking measuring tool by the wall to really tell at this point but um i mean live and learn (laughs) yeah i mean and and from what i've seen and what i've heard i I work with a lot of contractors as well uh finishing is always the most difficult and tedious part of it uh Mm -hmm. and i mean if if you no, I'm not going to say mess up, but if you have shortcomings on the finishing, you can compensate for them in other ways, like you said, with decoration, paint, yada, yada, yeah. yada. Uh, whereas, however, whatever's behind, uh, so the actual main framing, yeah, I've seen shortcuts on that, and you always end up paying in the long run one way or another, the unfortunate part. Yeah. Yeah, no, that you don't want to mess around with. And like we did it properly. We had an inspector come in and check through every single phase. So like we wanted to make sure we were doing it right and not get in trouble. Um, so yeah, like everything was obviously like approved and we're good and we're done. But um, it was, oh man, what what a learning experience I have yeah. to say. Do you do you work a lot with like real estate agents or developers or anything like that? Like partnerships? Yes. Yeah, so I mean, we the, the type of clients we get, I mean, we get homeowners, we have real estate agents. Uh, developers, building inspectors, contractors, uh, you name it, you name it. Uh, we work with them. Uh, even uh, actually some insurance companies as well. Uh, you know, right. a fire happens or a flood happens, you need to change the whole structural axis. They call Makes on sense. us and then we work with them. But yeah. Makes sense. So so you, you mentioned you have contractors, but like how big is your team really? Like how many contractors do you kind of like source out at any given time? So I would say right now on a, consistent roll around basis there's about five contractors i deal with on a weekly basis uh and these are pure like somebody's coming in to renovate a household and uh, Mm -hmm. these are you know people that are on speed dial for me and i'm not gonna say that i prioritize but like it's consistent revolving business with them yeah since we've opened the company i i mean i must have dealt with over 100 contractors easily so Wow. Yeah. You know what? I was kind of like that in the beginning too. When I started Nomad Creative, I initially thought like, oh, the bigger the network, the better. And so I connected with over 50 freelancers, you know, in in all different fields. And I was like, okay, this is great. I can reach out to them. But then I quickly realized that I have to re-explain my processes, our offerings, how we, you know, deal with clients every single time. And I was like, it doesn't really make sense. So like, yeah, I still work with freelancers and subcontractors, but on a consistent level like you. So it's like, I have my core team, like the people that I pretty much give all of the work to, I still ask them if they want to work with me, but honestly, they always say yes at this point, because it's like, it's good business. They like working for me and Nomad Creative and like, it's fun. Like the work that we do is, is fun. I mean, whatever, maybe I have a different perspective because <laughs> it's my company. But um, I also like, I pay attention to the clients that I bring on too, right? Like, sure. I'm sure you can relate. It's a two-way street. It's not just about like accepting any work that comes your way, but really no. caring about who you work with because ultimately that's going to affect your next one, two, three, five, ten 10 months, whatever of, of collaboration. And you don't want to 
put yourself in that situation or your team in that situation. So it's like you have this responsibility to make sure that anyone you bring on as a client is a good fit for the entire team and will also respect you and your team. Because like I've been in situations where clients were less than favorable Mm-hmm. For many different reasons. And, you know, you get to a point where you kind of put your foot down and you're like, I deserve to be respected. I deserve Absolutely. to be paid properly. And I deserve to love what I'm doing every single day. So, you know, Absolutely. keeping those things in mind is really uh, a, a blessing, I think, to be able to do that. Absolutely. Sure. It's, a, it's a two-way street. And and yeah. like you said, you don't necessarily, not every business that comes your way is good business, unfortunately. Uh, mm-hmm. From a financial, you know. It happens, yeah. It happens and it's okay. And, yeah. and sometimes, like you said, you know, you give a quote, you think that's what the job is. Okay, perfect. You go along and, you know, we call, we have this thing called scope creep, wherever like, oh, well, yes. can you do a little bit of this, a little bit of that? And then you find yourself mm-hmm. in a situation where like, you know, I'm a small business or I'm a, you know, travail autonome or whatever it may be. Okay, I don't want to get a bad review or I want to have a good relationship with the client. So you end up doing a little bit more and more and more. So at a certain point, it's like, oh, yeah. where do you draw the line? I, I can really relate to that. And I've been really working on putting my foot down too. Um, and I think removing myself from like the day-to-day and client communications as well has been helpful. So I used to be the one to basically manage the the projects and bring the clients through every single phase of, of the work. And now I have my team that does that. And it only comes to me if things escalate. So I basically do like the onboarding, the sales, like landing the client, building that initial relationship. And then I do oversee the project, but I'm not involved in like the regular meetings. And I think that's helped a lot because I too was the same way. It's like, you want to, you know, do good by the client. You want to get a good review, this and that. And sometimes what I realize is like you underestimate a lot of like the work that it's going to take. And I really think that it just comes with experience. Now that I'm like five and a half years into running my company, I'm like, I used to kind of estimate based on what I thought someone else was going to take to do it because I was like, I have to get this quote out as fast as possible to get the business and blah, blah, blah. Now I'm like, you know what? I need at least a week. I'm going to consult all of my contractors, I'm going to ask them to review all of the stuff. And like, you know, I pay them for their time to, to help me pitch. And I don't always get all the proposals. But for me, it's like the investment to make sure that when we do onboard the client, or if we do onboard the client, that I'm not losing money on the project, because I've been in situations sure. where like, I've broken even, or I've essentially like paid some to some extent to finish the project, because like, you know, something wasn't defined properly, or like we messed up along the way, or we weren't communicating any changes or scope creeps, like you said. So I totally relate. It really freaking sucks when you're in that situation too. Um, But I think it's, again, like a live and learn situation because I'm getting better at it, but I'm honestly still kind of getting over a bit of a hump with that because it's like, as you keep growing, it's like a different level. And there's always something new to like change and revise and make sure that you're getting paid for those extra elements, you know, that maybe you didn't consider before because you were a smaller team or something. Yeah. And I think one of the elements that people tend to forget when dealing with a small to medium sized business is that you're not dealing with a corporation. You're Mm -hmm. dealing with a human being, you're dealing with a person. And you know, it's, 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 it's different. It's not like you're dealing with Microsoft where they can take that yeah. loss or take that hit. It's no, this exactly. is, this is me. This is my household. This is my livelihood. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, you know, I was in the same situation when we first started off. Uh, I had a, this big debate about how to set the prices mm-hmm. and do I set it on an hourly rate 
but then that's too open-ended. Do I, you know, do I set it? Do I lowball just so I can get as much business to get my name out there? Mm-hmm. And you know, one of the things my wife told me, which was, I think it still sticks with me. She's like, "Your price is your price. You know your worth. You know your quality. And at the end of the day, if this is the price that's going to take away from your time from your family, and you're okay with that, then that's your price." Yeah. And 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 sometimes clients call me on a Friday night. They're losing their minds. They're like. I absolutely just come in on Saturday morning. It's like, okay, but I had plans to take my daughter yeah, swimming. Yeah, take my kids to the park. Yeah, yeah. Right. And okay, well, what's it going to take for me to take my Saturday off to prioritize you over my family? Well, that's the price for it. You're happy? Mm-hmm. No problem. You don't like it? Yeah. I'm sorry, but that's that. Yeah, no, I think that's totally fair. Um, and that's like understanding your worth and like what to value yourself at. I've always believed that first and foremost – you should be charging a little bit more every single year because you're growing, you're learning, you're getting better. Understanding that when you're a company and having like, let's say an agency rate, it might be a little bit different, but that might mean that maybe your margins get a little bit tighter, but then your business is also growing. For so sure. it's like, you're, you're kind of, you know, there's a little bit of give and take there and you kind of hope that it all balances out. But um, I remember, especially early on in the freelance, like, I think I started off charging like $20 an hour, which honestly, like straight out of school 10 years ago, what is, probably more than 10 years ago now, when, when did I get out of school? I don't even know. You're still um, young, Alyssa. Let's call it 15 for fun. Yeah, exactly. You know, so like at that time, that was like a decent whatever pay. And eventually I like slowly would put it up, put up. And I remember even at one point when I was like from to a client that I had been working with for a few years, I'm like, well, my hourly rate then went to like 25, 30, 35, whatever. And, um, they like didn't want to pay it, you know? And I'm like, okay, well, this is kind of what I'm worth now. And if you won't pay me this, then I'm going to find someone else who will. And it took me a while to decide that it was okay to do that because it's hard to walk away from money sometimes. But um, to even give you an example, like we had a client that we worked with for, I think, two years um, on a monthly basis doing their socials. And we they were our like first ever social media client. So naturally, like, it was a deal. We didn't really know how we were pricing, what the you know margins would be month to month. Mm-hmm. And my business now it's been like three and a half years since that client. But like from then till now, things have changed tremendously, Absolutely. not only in my team, but like our pricing, the economy. And so all these things come into play and we had to come back and say like, Hey, you, we've, you know, stuck with this price for two years. Unfortunately, it's just not like economical for us to do it this way anymore. Um, so we, you know, offered a similar package at a much higher rate, unfortunately, because number one, we didn't price ourselves correctly the first time. And number two, changes in the market. And number three, changes in our team. And we ended up like ending the relationship with the client because they couldn't afford it. And, you know, it sucks to say goodbye because it's like you want to keep them. And we did try and work something out. But at the end of the day, you also have to remember, like, I'm not here to just like make friends and build relationships. Like I am here to make money. This is my livelihood too. So like, it's hard to put your foot down sometimes, but you have to think of it from a business perspective at the end of the day. And, and it is what it is sometimes, you know, and you look at any industry and I'm just going to talk about like my past life with a big corporation. Mm -hmm. When we go to hire a subcontractor, okay, we come out and we're talking about 
tens of millions of dollars worth of contracts, right? Yeah. They guarantee the price until you sign with them for 30 days. And typically, right now in the uh, industry, yeah. they ask to revisit the quotes on an annual basis based off inflation. There's inflation mechanism built into it. So this is mm -hmm. a standard practice. So if, if the big guys are doing it, why shouldn't the smaller to medium guys it's, it's a standard practice it's it's, it's right it's as as but what you what you mentioned the fact that it's in the agreement that it's something that's already in their system Absolutely. like i have I've, I've not thought about like putting that in my agreement after something like this happened i wrote that we can revisit the contract on i think it's an annual basis also but it doesn't mention anything about like inflation but just to have the opportunity to revisit so that you're not like locked in because some of them it's like it goes month to month right Absolutely. and Absolutely. then there's no real like expiry and then some it ends at a certain date so like i've changed the way also like i i present the the projects too um yeah, I mean things things are literally always changing. It's yeah, just the no, nature sure. of it. We're 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 kinda lucky because our client the longest client we've had is I'd say about six months. And that was a really, really big project and we charge them on an hourly rate and mm -hmm. went great. But our typical turnaround for clients are about two to three week mandates. They're not that long. So Oh nice. And we don't go on yep. an hourly basis. We 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 tell them this is the price. That's the only okay. cost and that's it. And so when you do that and you have your fixed price, do your contractors also come in on a fixed price so that you know exactly what you're making? Everybody, everybody. So okay. I ask all the contractors, hey, you know, first of all, the more information we get up front, the better, the more accurate yes. we can price and we can of give course. you a fixed price. So mm -hmm. before I give a price, 99% of the time is I go on site, I look at what it is, I talk to the, I'm going to call them the work giver, whether it's a contractor, an owner, whatever it may be, to get a mm -hmm. full understanding of what it is. Then mm -hmm. afterwards, I recap everything in writing to make sure, hey, this was what it is. Are we clear? Great. So then I give them a talk to my subs, be like, hey, this is what's going on. We put together our game plan. Then we present it. Okay, that's the game plan. That's how we're going to tackle it. That's the all-in cost. And this is the payment structure because that's mm -hmm. something that's very yeah. important to us. It's like, you want me to spend some of my time up front to start doing the work? No problem. I will. I'm not going to ask you to pay 100% because I see it. You want to see the final product before you pay. You want to make sure I don't take the money and run. Fair. Mm -hmm. However, there's also this trust in a sense that I want to make sure I don't do all this work. And at the end of the day, you're like, oh, For I'm nothing. not going to pay you. Yeah. Run, out, run yeah. after me. You know? So what's your so, payment structure right now? You ask for a percentage up front? Yeah, yeah, uh, it depends. It depends on the size of the project. It depends on the yeah. type of work. But for a typical small-scale project, is 50% uh, whenever you receive the invoice and the service offer, and then 50% whenever the work is done before I transfer it over. So, you know, you get a message, be like, hey, it's done. Exactly, it's yeah. done. You want to get the documents? Send the payment out, we'll unlock it. Yeah, no, we do something similar too. And it's also like project depending. If it's month-to-month -month social, they pay like at the on the first of the month, exactly. right? And then if it's a bigger project, sometimes we'll do like a 70% up front or 50, whatever. Um, but we won't leave like a larger, it's usually like maybe 20% at the end. On the back end. Um, and it's before like doing the handoff and the deployment. Because yeah. for us, like your two week, you said two weeks is on average how long you spend with clients, right? Yeah, two to three weeks. Okay. So like that's almost like that never happens with us. Yeah. For us, it's like at least a month and a half like and that's really just us going in and doing like a creative direction exercise oh. so we're working with clients on average between 
like the ones that kind of come and go because some are working with us like on a monthly basis. So they can stick with us for a few years. But if we're doing, let's say like a big branding project and then they go off and they just, you know, keep doing their own thing in house, then we're looking at between like six months to a year. So it's, it's a lot, it's a lot to plan too. So like you were saying, it's like making sure that you get those numbers up front from your team to make sure, because like it's it's really hard to estimate something that's going to span six months to a year. Absolutely. So the way that we do it, which like, honestly, I envy you that you can like easily just be like, okay, this is the fixed cost. This is my margin. Because yeah. it's like, it's, it's just easy. Like with us, every single website, for example, is so different. Some could Absolutely. be $15,000. Some could be $100,000. And that's a big number. So we break it down by every single phase, you know, from like the onboarding and the discovery to the uh, like UI UX to the creative direction, then the design of the pages, then the development, then the testing, then the deployment, then the training. Like there's so many different aspects and people don't like, this is called, this is a full custom website we're talking about. It's not like a theme, you know? So there's in each of those steps, it's, it's hard to know exactly how much it's going to be because some websites have 50 pages, some websites have 10 pages. And it's like, we're looking to still find like a perfect, like calculation, like how can we, I guess, like mathematically define each of those sections without having to kind of estimate out of nowhere each time. Right. So typically we'll do like, how much does it cost per page? What kind of special features are we doing? Like there's just so much to consider. So when we build our contracts, yeah. You you have a lot more moving parts. That's for sure. That's, that's, uh, and that's been a big part of the challenge too. It's like pricing based on all of those moving parts. But, um, yeah. So the way that we do it now, it's like the agreement is built out based on how many hours the hourly rate because certain like development and ui ux is 200 an hour and then everything else is 150 an hour um because it's just like the the nature of the the services and the complexity of it um and then we'll the entire estimate is based on how many hours we think it's going to take i like to try and overestimate slightly to give us wiggle room because like you never know and honestly more times than not, like there's something that happens that needs to be fixed, that needs to be tweaked. So, um, yeah, that's what we've been doing. But like in the agreement, it says like, this is based on an estimate. It could change. But then when you have to have that conversation and you're going over scope, you're like, fuck, I feel bad already when it's such a big like number, but Again, you got to put that business hat on and just do it. Yeah, <laughs> and, and funny enough uh, about the upfront payment, it's uh, I remember this wasn't long ago, and it's one of my bigger mandates that I've done. I've sent the client out, you know, what the payment structure would be, and I had split it into four, actually four twenty-five percent mm-hmm. deliverables, and this was a eight-month project every two months, which is okay. which isn't that bad. I didn't think it was. And the client that absolutely did not want to, and he wanted to pay all the way on the back end. He's like, no, you know what? I'm going to give you 25% now, and then the 75% on the back end. What do you mean um, on the back end? Like at the very, very end. Oh, at the end. Done. Uh, you know, obviously, I did not want to. First of all, I don't get into arguments. I don't have time for it. I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't want to. Yeah. It's like, you know what? I'll move on. It's fine. But I have to sit down and explain to them. I'm like, okay. You want to pay it on the back end. That means you're going to ask me to finance that 75% portion on for the duration of the project. I'm like, no problem at all. I went to the bank. I asked them because I'm not taking on that liability and I'm not taking cash out of the company and I'm not going to stop paying the people I work with just to please them because obviously I don't want to ruin that relationship. Yeah. I went to the bank. I'm like, what would a loan of this amount cost for the month? 
in the interest, obviously this was now, so interest rates are ridiculous. Yeah, ridiculous. <laughs> and I called them back. I'm like, you want to pay it off on the back end? No problem at all. This is going to be the revised price on it. And he and, and it, it tacked on a good 15% of the cost. And I couldn't believe it. I'm like, well, it's financing mm-hmm. costs. You want me to finance it? No problem. I'll do it. But that's it. That's what it's going to cost. So he ended up agreeing. I like agreement. that. I like that. I've never heard of that. And I think with what you're doing too, it makes sense. But obviously it's a turnoff for people because they're like, they're always wanting, everyone's wanting to save money all the time. You know, it's like, exactly. why would I pay more? Yeah. Pretty much. And it's like, I'm not that's asking nice. you to pay it up front just because, you know, I want to grab the money early on. No, I'm asking because one, I want to save your costs. I don't want to have to carry over. It's not fair that, for example, if I'm financing another project and I'm going to the next client and I have this bill on, on, on my head that I have to factor in as well. It's not fair. So. Yeah. I feel you. It's so funny how we relate on so many levels, eh? In like completely different industries. It's, it's business. the nature of the business. It's the nature yeah. of the business. Yeah. We operate in very similar ways. It's it's kind of cool to hear. I, I've, not, I've not spoken to someone who's not in my industry who does things so similarly. So it's kind of cool. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> I mean, I, th- I think it goes down to who we are as people as well. I think you're, you're like me. You're very open. You're very direct whenever you talk to your clients, there's no shadiness. It's like, hey, mm-hmm. this is how it is. If you want me to break it down to you, I will gladly explain to you why, but this is how it is. If you want somebody mm-hmm. cheaper, there's somebody cheaper for you, for sure. It's going to be different, but it's going to be cheaper. Yeah, well, my basement experience is prime example. There you go. There you go. There you go. You get what you pay for, people. Keep that there, in mind. There you go. There you go. And, and, okay, and I want to... And it's not... And sorry, and just one last thing. And go, it's not to say that there aren't options to make it more budget friendly. I'll give you an example. Yeah. If you're like, you know what, Riyadh, I don't want a drawing. I just want to know what to install. You can write it to me in an email. I just need to know the dimensions. I'm okay with that. Okay, great. You're going to save on the drafting fees. No problem. I'll quote you. You'll save three, four hundred bucks. Great. But you don't need those drafts to work? Not always. Not always. No. Uh, typically, Sometimes a draft. if it's super simple, you're like, yeah, and sometimes if the city doesn't require it or like, you know, you can keep that email sort of in your records, it's sufficient enough. It depends. Mm-hmm. It depends. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, there's always little like workarounds. We say the same thing too. Like Absolutely. when we do like present like a full brand strategy, sometimes they've already done like a really deep competitive analysis that like we won't have to do. So that kind of saves and knocks off some hours and dollars from the thing. So like, exactly. yeah, there's always a little bit of flexibility for sure, for sure. but for sure. Um, stick to your guns and, you know, believe in yourself and your rates and Value you yourself. will attract people who are willing and wanting and available to pay for you. For sure. So that for sure. is my two cents for everybody listening. <laughs> for sure. Okay. I want to switch gears a little bit um, and talk about work-life balance. I know that this is something that's super important to you. You just had a daughter, a little yeah. girl, yeah. Um, who is only a few months old. So that's super exciting. I'm sure it's been a big shift, you know, in basically living your life for you and your wife. And now you have a kid. So what's that been like? I'm curious to hear from your perspective. And like, do you have any strategies or tools that you use to help balance the work and the life? Yeah, I mean, listen, so we have what we call red zones in this in this family in a sense that Oh, okay. These periods of those days, I don't care if the sky falls down, it's family time. So Okay, what are example. they? So Friday from six PM to eight PM, no matter what happens, we're with my parents. Sunday okay. from five PM to seven PM we're with her parents. Saturdays from 2 p.m. to 5 p.m. 
it's family time and what is it thursday evenings as well it's family time so this is no matter what happens this is the bare bare minimum of yeah. family time yeah secondly if now listen it doesn't always work but i try to minimize last second emergencies in a sense that if somebody was not planned and i need you by tomorrow and i need you to get this done by in two days from now okay but you know that this was coming up two weeks ago i'm not gonna rush to compensate for your lack of planning it's like yeah this is my time frame my time frame allows for me to serve you serve other clients and have family time as well mm-hmm. now obviously situations arise uh emergencies happen everybody's very understanding but i if if, if it's just pure excuse my word incompetence or negligence i'm not gonna compensate for it mm-hmm. that's it but i think yeah. that the the red zones were uh they were they were big for us because i was all over the place i was taking calls left front and center i'd be out with the family and i'm just like on the phone the whole time and just yeah yeah it's no it's important to set boundaries it's honestly it's reminding me of like my dad growing up he was a real estate agent and yeah. like phone calls would come in during dinner all the time and he would pick yeah. them up because it's business and anyone can call you whether it's weekends evenings it's like real estate agents are like rogue sometimes honestly um but no i'm similar to you i've started to set better boundaries i think in the beginning that's when you're just trying to figure it all out you're hustling a little more you know you're putting everything into it and then you realize that like it's not worth it because you you start to recognize like the importance of that downtime right and needing to recharge like for your own mental health for your relationships and all of that so um, yeah, like evenings and weekends, which is like pretty typical. I try and think like if I were working at another job, I would have the luxury to come home and turn off and not have to worry about anything. So I try and do that within my business too, as much as I can, you know, with the exceptions here and there. But if I am doing something over time and that goes, let's say into those red zones, as you say, then I make sure that I'm doing it in a way that like, I'm not frustrated being in that situation you know it's like kind of accepting it and being like okay like i have to do this i'm making an exception it's not a forever thing because if you're like oh like it's five o'clock why am i still working blah 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 it's like you're just making yourself miserable for no reason so it's like kind of just like accepting that like it does happen sometimes like this is your business shit shit goes down and like it's okay too so like being flexible with yourself i think is also um pretty important i would there's say there's a there's a cool there's a great lebanese proverb that my mother told me when i was mm-hmm. young that i love so when i was younger and i and i used to work on site for for a corporation i would literally go home at uh, i would go home i'd get to site at 6 a.m i'd get home by 9 p.m and i would have a burnout every four months and my my mother told me this once and and it sticks to me till today she goes life finishes and work doesn't finish so i was like shit that makes sense in the sense that life has an end work has no end there's always going to be tomorrow there's always going to be work and yeah so just prioritize what's life and that's that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah i think that it's like you're not living to work but you're kind of like working to live yeah i like to kind of blur the lines and say that there is it is kind of like intertwined. At least that's how I want to live because it is really important to me and I really love what I do. And it's also what allows me to do other things in life, you know, like travel and have free time and all of these things. So like, 
I definitely think that they work together. And yes, like we always talk about this like work-life balance and like separating the two. But I think that there is also a healthy way to kind of like have them coexist. And I, I, I think... I think what I'm trying to say is that like some people kind of like when they say work-life balance, they're like, I need to separate it because like life is more important than work, for example, which like fine, but you spend so much of your life working. So why couldn't that also be important, but not important in the way that like you need to like beat yourself up and like make the most money and like be miserable behind your desk all day. But like, what if you really loved what you were doing? And if you didn't really love what you were doing, how could you find something in what you're doing that you love, whether it's your coworkers that you're working with or like your routine and setting up like early in the morning with your cup of coffee or your tea or whatever it may be, you know, like, I think that there's a way to find that like joy and love in everything that you do, including your work. And like, yeah, there's the work-life balance in the sense that like you want to turn off, you want to be present in the moment. But like, I think there's a way to also be present at work. Uh, It's funny that you say that because I not necessarily, I also tend to blur the lines in a sense that I'll give you a very simple example. There's one of the the contractors that I've been working with from the get-go uh, we've become family friends. He has a son that's a little bit older than my daughter and we have him over for lunches, dinners all the time. And he comes over, him and his, his wife and my wife are very good friends now. They come over, we sit down, we have dinner. Maybe for like half an hour after dinner, him and I sit on the side, we open up drawings, we talk about the project going on. And then we go back and we play, we put the kids to sleep and we go back to board games. And yeah, we, yeah. we worked, we got stuff done, but we're enjoying life at the same time. Yeah, and- exactly. And who's to say too, like I've kind of spoken about this on previous um, episodes before too, is that like you can also build relationships and become friends with your team and specifically sure. like employees, right? Like when you're running a business, I feel in the beginning, I felt like it was really important to kind of like show my my like yeah yeah in a way like leadership whatever it's like you don't want to show so much vulnerability like you want to show them that you're in charge that you can handle things but like the big part I think that I realized of you know having people stick around and want to continue to work with me is because of how I've just like humanized myself I don't show up pretending to have my shit together all the time. I'm not always like the most perfectly spoken person. And even when I like, sometimes I record presentations to send to clients as opposed to like doing them live. And I used to worry so much about like how I said it, how I sounded like this and that, but like talk as if you're talking in person, like it doesn't have to be perfect. Like this is what people connect to, like the human part of you, like be vulnerable, like share the things that are bothering you that day. But like, obviously don't be annoying about it. (laughs) Like you want to be relatable. You want, yeah. Like you, you just want to like build those, those friendships. And and I've become friends with some of the people that work for me that I pay. And I completely like separated in the sense that like, I I obviously don't hold anything against me. They don't expect anything from me. If ever we're in the same city, we want to make time for each other. We will. And there's no expectation. And we won't really talk about work. Like something might come up here or there, but it's more like arbitrary as opposed to like focused. Because for me, it's like, if I'm taking a business call, I'm taking a business call. If we're talking about life or we're talking about life, we're going for dinner. That's that, you know? So like, yeah, I don't know. A little, little blurriness is okay, I think. Yeah, I know. And, and you know what? I think also being more relatable, not only your employees and people you work with feed off it, but I think clients feed off it as well. I can't tell yeah, you. that's the, what I was talking about. Yeah. I can't tell you the amount of times, Alyssa, that I've gotten a client, not because 
I was the cheapest or whatever, but because I sat, well, sat down with them and we had a conversation about family and life and children. And, and they were like, mm -hmm. you know what? We like you as a person and we want yeah. to work with you. Okay, great. Yeah. And I find that too, especially when I'm working with companies and brands, a lot of them are like mission focused brands. They care a lot about who's involved in working on the project. So a lot of the times they get to know me and they're like, oh, we really want to work with you. And I'm like, you know, like that's not really the case. I can't necessarily work on every single project, but I can, I can tell you that the way that I hire is based on like who I feel feel vibes with me Absolutely. who has the same values as me and like my business is a representation of me at the end of the day you know like Absolutely. there are many people who are working and representing nomad creative but i wouldn't have them working for me if they didn't sit well with me so like if clients like the way my approach and how i speak and how i communicate i I'm basically leading my team to, to do the same, you know, and like, or I hire them because of their unique ways of communicating that I still feel works. Cause I'm a lot more like loud and outgoing and whatever. And I have like, my creative director is a lot more like chill and soft-spoken and people love working with her, you know? And like, that's cool. Like I don't, Absolutely. you don't have to be like me to like be liked or be whatever, because some people might be like, Oh God, she's, she's like, I can't, I can't do it. Like I need she's someone too much. I'm like, all right, bye. Yeah. Fuck the people who say I'm too much. I'll be all myself. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck them all. <laughs> okay, enough about me. Um, okay, we're gonna we're gonna wrap things up here, Riyad. It's been so great chatting with you. I feel like we've already shared a lot of like really key like life lessons and stuff. But we always end the podcast with uh, what I call the mindful minute. So one piece of advice that you would want to share with someone, whether it's another entrepreneur, a leader, someone looking to start a business, something that you have learned on your journey so far that you can't necessarily find or learn in a textbook that you would want to share. What would that be? Jeez, that's a, that's a big minute. I would say I'm going <laughs> I'm, I'm to revert back to the, to the saying that my mother gave me that life finishes and work does not finish. Uh, you know, it's not all about the bank account, the dollars, the whatnot. It's more about the experience, the journey, uh, the family. At the end of the day, your kids, your, your surrounding, they're not going to remember how much money you had. Or I mean, they might, but they're not going <laughs> to care about how much money you had, but mm -hmm. they're going to care about were you present, were you there, were you with them. So, so that, that, that's what I would say. It's like, make a living, earn your money, do what you have to do. Absolutely. Don't take no for an answer and don't shortcut on that. But there's more to life than just that. That's, that's yeah. the way I would say it. I love it. I love it. Um, where can people find you on social media, your website? Let us know. Yeah. So uh, there's the website inspect, e -N -G -S -P -E -C -T .ca, which we will be rebranding soon, by the way. Oh yeah. I meant yeah. to talk about that. Wait, we might just like have you on about the rebranding process. I'm so curious to see where that's going. Anyways, go on. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. Uh, uh, and uh, so far also the social media handle inspect, e -N -G -S -P -E -C -T, and that's essentially it. All the contact info is there. Sweet. So you guys, if you're doing any changes, structural changes to your house or looking to renovate, you got Riyadh here who's going to take care of you. That's for sure. A phone call Thank and email you. is free. Oh, well, there you go. I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening, everyone. Until next time. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning in. Don't forget to subscribe. And if you're feeling generous, a review would be much appreciated.
This podcast is brought to you by Nomad Creative. Visit nomadcreative.com for all of your marketing, branding, and social media needs.